Welcome to the premiere episode of In the Gap, a podcast about how and why Black women aren't getting their green. I'm your host, journalist Chandra Thomas-Whitfield. On In the Gap, you hear from real women and experts alike discussing the many ways that the gender pay gap impacts the lives of Black women in the American workforce. Dear friends, welcome to the Labor Radio Podcast Network series, highlighting the work of our members. The growing network of over 90 shows in five countries serves as a one-stop shop for audiences looking for labor content and as a resource for labor broadcasters, podcasters, and content producers. My name is Evan Papp, and I produce Empathy Media Lab's podcast on labor, political economy, arts, and culture, and we're a proud member of the Labor Radio Podcast Network. Today, I'm speaking with Chandra Thomas-Whitfield, host and producer of In the Gap podcast, with episodes featuring everyday Black women and experts sharing their personal experiences on how the gender pay gap, pay discrimination, and systemic inequality affects the lives and livelihoods of Black women in the American workforce. Chandra, so good to see you. And I would like to begin with uh, learning more about your background, where you grew up, and what got you interested in labor issues. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. Um, well, I, as you mentioned, I'm Chandra Thomas-Whitfield. Um, I am a journalist and have, have been a journalist since 11th grade, which is a little fun fact about me. And um, Anyone who knows me knows a few things about me, one of which is that I am a very, very proud New Orleans native. Notice I didn't say New Orleans. <laughs> and, um, and so I grew up in New Orleans and spent basically the first 13 years of my life um, in New Orleans, which uh, if you've ever lived in New Orleans, it's, it's like another world, another country. So even though I left at the age of 13, I uh, moved on to Atlanta, still in the South. And um, so now I jokingly say I'm half Atlanta and, and half New Orleans. And, um, but New Orleans, of course, is deeply rooted in, in me. And uh, just grew up in a, um, you know, very um, proud African-American um, community. And, um, you know, just really into the culture and learning about, you know, myself and, and, and everything. Um, as far as labor, um, I don't know that I was, you know, immediately aware of labor issues or the value of them, but uh, I will say one of the biggest things that I'm very proud of is that my grandfather and, and many of my relatives actually uh, worked for the post office, the United States Post Office, and I learned in the research from my podcast, believe it or not, about how much of a role the post office in particular played in elevating African-Americans to the middle class. Um, it was a solid paycheck, it was steady work, um, and it was a real opportunity. So in many ways, even though I wasn't aware, I benefited from it because I also learned through my work that I had during um, Hurricane Katrina, that I had been, that I had grown up in New Orleans as at one of the oldest um, established middle-class planned suburban communities in the country. And um, this was 
built out of separate but equal and all of that. But a lot of the people in our neighborhood, they worked at the post office. And this gave them a chance to have a the picket fence, so to speak, you know, the nice life with the parks and the, the homes and the sidewalks and your kids playing. So I would just say labor, labor unions and just the labor market actually uh, impacted my life and gave me an opportunity to live a comfortable life growing up. And you've also been a journalist and reporter. What is your experience? That can be a very precarious existence as well. So what has been some of your experience on just labor in, in that sector for people who may have no experience or awareness of it? Yeah, as a journalist, um, you kind of key in on, you know, issues of injustice, issues of impropriety and things like that. So definitely covered that over the years. Um, and also just being a journalist um, under, you know, this, this is literally the only job that I've really had. So really understanding like your rights as a worker and, you know, you know, like things like overtime and all those things, like just as a worker, I had to learn like what my rights were because, you know, it is very easy uh, I hate to say in our industry to get exploited. It really is. And uh, to some degree, you know, it all relates to my podcast, I guess, when I thought about it, but women in particular, I've noticed in the workplace, uh, a feeling like they have to do even more and extra to be accepted, to get promoted and things like that. And so I, I, I guess uh, I've been sort of like that, I call it my little secret Rosa Parks uh, in that I've always advocated for employees and their rights and, and encouraged people and myself to speak up in those things. Even though I was not part of a union, you realize that, you know, you realize why unions exist when you are a member of the American workforce. So I, you know, so I completely applaud that um, and applaud the work that is done and um, really just understanding how it impacts the, the, the lives that we live and the fact that we all want work-life balance and, and these unions, they not only fight for that, they also fight for safe conditions and things like that. So um, I'm, I'm actually, you know, just bow down to the work of the, the labor unions. And a lot of people haven't grown up with labor news and labor media, and it's starting to take off over the last few years, probably because workers are starting to uh, struggle more than ever before, at least in, in the last uh, couple decades in the US mm -hmm. as the inequality grows and everything else. So could you talk a bit about your show In the Gap and why you wanted to start it and what it's about? Yes, uh, I actually produced it um, through funding from the Leonard C. Goodman Institute for Investigative Reporting. And um, I had a fellowship with In These Times Magazine which is based out of Chicago, and they have a deep, deep, deep labor uh, connection. It's a, it's a huge part of their readership and the interest that they have. And I have a funny story. I had actually applied for the fellowship before, and they basically told me, oh, this would not resonate, this topic would not resonate with our audience. And I came back and I said, I really want this fellowship. And I started doing some research. And, um, and then I learned about the gender pay gap and you know the fact that black women are paid significantly less money for the same work and i've heard estimates in the you know 900,000 range of black women um, losing 
over the course of a 35 year career. And when I thought about my life as a mom, as a working person, as a parent and thinking, I will have to put my kids through college, pay my mortgage, have transportation, have some quality of life with, you know, 900 and something thousand dollars less, um, you know, and I'm fortunate because I happen to be married. So I have that. But if you look at, you know, black women, you know, almost 80% of black women are head of household and the breadwinner of their household. So this is a deep reality. Um, and it trickles down into quality of life issues for the entire black family, if this is what's happening. So I, the funny thing about this is as a journalist, sometimes you're, you know, you're covering topics, but as I started doing this podcast, I started thinking, wait a minute, I'm probably a victim, so to speak. I don't, maybe victim is not the word that I want to say. I've probably fallen prey to this and started really going through my own career and realizing like, yes, you think you're writing, you think you're interviewing all these people about their experience, but I am an African-American woman. And I realized I have probably lost all kinds of money that I never thought about all these years. And so it, the funny thing about the podcast, it's changed me. I've advocated for more, I've negotiated more. And that's some of the things we talk about in the podcast. And I think one of the ways that prevents us from organizing is that we all see ourselves as individuals oftentimes in this, and we don't see the systemic uh, inequalities and exploitations and a million dollars over the course of a career. And I, I believe you write on your show that black women still only make 62 cents on the dollar compared to white non-Hispanic men. So what were some of the most egregious stories you uncovered on your show? Honestly, um, I had a couple of, um, you know, you always want to test your audience or see how people are reacting. So early in the process, I was encouraged to share the, the episodes with a few colleagues and friends who are Black women and said, um, I mean, several of them said they couldn't get through it because it was so emotional because they've experienced that. Um, one particular story was Jazz. She's a, um, a retail worker. She worked at um, Walmart and Target, um, but she particularly had a very bad experience with, you know, basically running her department in the in the store, but having a white male who came in on a temporary part-time basis offered a management job over her and in front of her. So just a total disregard, disrespect. And the, the gentleman actually, uh, well, I shouldn't give it away, but his reaction was pretty surprising. So hopefully people will, will, will listen to it. And um, I, was, I was shocked at his reaction as well. We also have a woman, um, Brandon, who actually was pregnant and, and motherhood is a huge part of this issue for women but also for black women being that they are often single parents or head of household breadwinner. And uh, I mean, this woman just treated, mistreated. She was going through a difficult pregnancy and having to basically be, um, you know, um, mistreated at work because she could not do certain things despite having a doctor's, you know, 
notes and things like that. And um, one of the things she talks about is that she had come back from a hospital and um, basically no one even asked how she had been doing, but her coworker's dog had died the day before and, the, and they decided to pass a card around for the dog. Um, and, you know, and, and they, were, they were doing illegal things to her, um, just, you know, knowing that she had a medical condition. And then, um, you know, there's also women who've had to take legal action because of these, you know, because of how they were treated. And uh, we opened this season with a woman, Aja, who actually, by chance, in conversation, discovered that her co, her white male coworker, was making, oh, just forty thousand dollars, not forty thousand dollars, forty thousand dollars more for the same exact job. And she had actually been there longer. So a whole salary more, you know, and um, with no explanation. And um, what I try to do, and I think sometimes we miss this in the labor discussion is yes, you fight, you know, you have your lawsuits and you do all that, but just what this does to the psyche, what this does to you mentally. And this is why I, you know, I personally applaud anyone who does take this on because it's, it's very difficult to fight when you're also being treated this way. And I wanted to give voice to that as well. Like not just say fight the power, which is very important. Believe me, I do believe that. But, um, but I also know that people, we need to sometimes pause and look at the human toll that this takes. And um, uh, Susan DeCarava, she is one of our uh, labor experts. She is uh, head of the New York, the News Guild um, the New York Guild, and she does a fantastic interview. And I mean, I see why she's president because she had me ready to walk. <laughs> I was ready to go pick it. Uh, and so I try to balance this in a podcast. So it's emotional, but we talk about the law, but we also talk about the history of labor unions and the value that they bring. So um, we just, I, I just wanted to give voice to this issue and not make it about if this happened, let's just embrace the fact that it is happening and what we need to do about it. That's beautiful. And <laughs> a part of, part of the unions too is transparency on payments. So I worked in the federal government. So similar to the post office and things like uh -huh. that. You're on a very clear pay scale. You have a very clear steps as you move up. And uh, it's very transparent where everyone's at. You can look them up. Exactly. And some people may say, well, I, I'd rather it be more private. Well, you get into this type of issue exactly. where the, the racism and systematic exploitation can happen. Absolutely. And things about uh, unions create that transparency. So um, taking a step to look back, to look at the technical aspects of your show, you know, part of the Labor Radio Podcast Network is to build solidarity amongst other podcasters and radio producers and to share best practices and things like that. How did you come up with your format and what's your process of from <laughs> the, the, the pre-production oh, to the editing and post and, and how, how is that process? Well, I, the podcast, believe it or not, um, it came out of me going to a workshop uh, um, and I worked with a House of Pod based in Denver, which is like a, like a incubator and um, got fired up about podcasts and decided to turn my fellowship project into a podcast. And um, 
the the beauty and the craziness of it is that I had never done that. I mean, I've worked in television, I've done some radio, but I had, you know, kind of been in print world for a while. And um, so I decided that I really wanted to, to do this. Um, what I didn't count on was that I would be learning and it's going great. And then a pandemic hits. <laughs> so uh, I was I was doing everything in a studio. I was learning the equipment. It was great. And it was what I wanted. I wanted to learn and grow as a journalist because I'm really intrigued with podcasts. And uh, then the pandemic hit. And so then I had to make an adjustment. I mean, a lot of the interviews were done on Zoom. A lot of the interviews were done by phone because at that point, the studio had been closed for, I, I think it was ultimately closed for three months. So, uh, so it was a learning experience. We, we started the podcast and I was, we were writing intros and scripts and all that. And um, ultimately everyone kept saying the intros are boring. <laughs> so after, oh, uh, and by the way, this is 12 episodes, I should be clear. Uh, someone should have told me that's crazy, by the way, to do 12 episodes in your first season ever in life as a podcaster. But I guess I'm crazy like that. <laughs> but I will say that after, I think we were about eight episodes in, they decided, my team decided the intros were boring and I had to re-record eight <laughs> and finish the rest. So we decided to do sort of a teaser where you would hear excerpts from the interviews, you know, sound bites and things like that. And uh, I agree that it was good, but anyone out there, decide on your intro <laughs> before you record eight episodes. <laughs> And uh, it was tough because, you know, I, I, as I mentioned earlier, I am a parent. So I was suddenly cast into homeschooling and producing a podcast. And, um, and then uh, also when George Floyd situation happened, I became hot property as a black woman journalist. So I was juggling freelance work, the podcast, homeschooling, and oh, just this thing called COVID going on in the across the globe. So I'm glad that I'm sane <laughs> after all of that. And so I think that's the beauty of any challenge. And you know, and I, I believe in challenging yourself. So if you're out there, challenge yourself, but just be mindful. Maybe you should do six episodes and not 12. <laughs> that's still a challenge to do six. So, uh, but I will say, I cannot believe I got through it. It was very intense. And I, and the other thing that I, if how they say, which if you did it again, I would definitely have a producer. I would definitely have a producer. I had to oversee all edits, uh, just writing the, everything. So it was it was intense. <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm happy to say I'm still standing. And uh, there were many days that I wasn't sure if that was going to happen. <laughs> oh, that's a lot. So, and then trying to re-record these intros and things, Intro, you know, with yeah. all the chaos going on around. And you, you know, and you know this, Evan, like you 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 say it in your head but then when it comes out of your mouth you're like cut <laughs> so it's like you're recording the intro like 12 times <laughs> i was like oh gosh chandra what have you gotten yourself into so i'm very proud of the work and like i said i'm driven by something deeper but honestly between COVID, the kids and producing a podcast uh it, it was it was it was the most one of the most intense experiences of my life, and I've done a lot in journalism. <laughs> yeah, I I find podcasting to be a 
you know, pretty steep learning curve and mm -hmm. hearing your voice, getting comfortable with it. But there is this transformative process where you find your voice. The more you do it, the more you hear yourself, the more you cringe at hearing yourself, the more mistakes you make. Over time, if you can stick with it, you start really finding your own voice, which so often in society, we are told to be quiet or we're told to defer to other people. And to find your own voice, I think, is a, a very empowering process as well. However, the editing for even, I, I'm a pretty good editor for other people's work, but for my own edits, I'm always like, that should stay in, that should stay in. That's where it's so important well, to have the dialogue. I will be calling you if I do a podcast again, because I am definitely getting a producer. I need it. I, you know, I like the collaborative feel. As long as that person's not way off on some old, you know, like we need to, we need to uh, have some synergy, but I like another person's you know thought process and well what are you thinking because you know we did have to you know cut uh, i was told that the inter the, the the best length was 30 minutes and so but you know it takes a while to warm people up so most of the interviews were an hour so we had to figure out how to cut out 30 minutes which was a lot so things that i i learned a lot and i feel like um you know i would like to do another one funding is always the challenge so anybody out there uh i'm looking but um but i feel like i learned like you said enough where now i know when i go into the next project i'll have a game plan i know what needs to be thought out all of those things but i think it's very important so for those who are doing a podcast like you know even if you don't necessarily have a paid team i mean i think that's good if you can just have some like-minded people just listen to your ideas because you can i think you should work out a lot of details before you actually start recording you know you need to think about my intro who's my audience i mean all of those things and i did go through that process but um but i would just say you know there's definitely room for collaboration and just getting feedback and uh, a lot of a lot of the changes were from feedback like oh this was interesting but you know, you didn't really grab me in the beginning. So I wanted to, you know, give people a reason to stick around for the, cause I mean, they, I mean, people say some amazing things. I mean, they really do. They talk about negotiating. We talk about the labor unions. We my one of my favorite episodes is called Roots um, where we talk about the history of black women in the labor force. And um, it's pretty funny because it goes against every stereotype that's been put out about, you know, the black community in particular, but black women, that black women have always worked. We've always had the highest representation of women in the American labor force of any race. Um, and so, and that continues, you know, it continues and black women, interestingly, the, you know, the, what makes this so devastating is that black women are leading in entrepreneurship, black women are leading in, you know, politics, determining, you know, races, and um, black women are also leading in inter uh, educational attainment. So it doesn't line up with that. Why should you have all of that going and you and you get paid less than other people, um, particularly men and particularly even women of other races. So uh, that's what that's what makes this unique is that you know, black women by and large, obviously not every single black woman, but are doing things quote unquote right, yet we're not getting what we have actually worked for. You know, you go to school, you get these degrees, you get master's degrees, PhDs, trainings, 
and um, you should be compensated for that. And I could go on and on, believe me, I have some, <laughs> I, I could go on and on about, you know, a lot of the uncompensated work that happens and how um, we are often exploited in the workplace, sadly. Well, I feel humbled being a part of the Labor Radio Podcast Network and meeting people like you and uh, learning a lot as well. And you have a beautiful show and everyone should check it out. And so in closing, looking into the future of organized labor, where do you see opportunity and hope? I see it. Um, I see it in the Black community in particular, but of, and of course, because my podcast In the Gap is about Black women, I think that that's the future because you have uh, a, a, a group that is clearly disenfranchised, clearly um, not getting their due. And as we, you know, I mentioned the George Floyd situation, I think that, you know, the irony of everything happening in 2020 and COVID and all that is the George Floyd situation. And for the first time, some people, not me, but some people are waking up to a reality that they never embraced or accepted um, that there is, there are uh, inequalities in our society. And I feel like uh, black women in particular are educated, they are informed, they are part of our labor history of our country, why we have made some strides in the labor world. And so I feel like that is a group that needs to be tapped. I, I need to see more black leadership. Um, and I also saw, you know, like I said, I'm, I am for labor unions because my episode where we talk about the history, but there have also been, there also has been racism in the labor, the, the labor world. And you, you, I need to see more leadership, more people um, that look like those who are facing the inequality leading and have and having a decision-making role. And I do think, uh, you know, a lot of, you know, you look at Kamala Harris and all of those people and, and, and um, they get it done, they get it done. And if you want things done, I say, hey, embrace black women, we'll, we'll help you. We'll roll up our sleeves and help because, um, and the beauty of it is that everyone benefits. Everyone benefit. Everyone has benefited from a safer workplace. Everyone has benefited by certain parameters being in place. And I feel like um, it doesn't really matter like who does what, but the reality is it benefits us all, you know. And um, and this is this is an American issue, and we need to address it. So I applaud you all for just illuminating this because I'll say even though it was part of my family, this podcast taught me what I did not know about the history of labor unions and we need to engage in that more. So anything you can do to raise awareness about what's going on in the workplace, I support. So thank you so much for having me on. This is such an honor. Chandra Thomas Whitfield, In the Gap, everyone should listen. And uh, thanks for all the work you're doing. And I look forward to fighting with you in the trenches. Right. Well, same here. Same here. Thank you so much. It's been an honor to just be a part of it. And and, and as you probably mentioned, um, you know, it's available at all the major platforms. I will say, because the term in the gap is pretty popular, it would be helpful to put in my name after it if you're searching for it on the different platforms like, you know, Apple Podcasts, Spotify and such. So thank you so much and um, fight the power. <laughs>
You better listen, my brother, 'cause if you do, you can hear there are voices still calling from across the years, and they're crying across the ocean, they're crying across the land, and they will until we all come to understand. None of us are free. None of us are free. None of us are free if one of us is chained. None of us are free. None of us are free. None of us are free. None of us are free if one of us is chained. None of us are free. There are people in darkness. They just can't see the light. If we don't say it's wrong, then that says it's right. We got to feel for each other. Let our brothers know we're here. Got to get the message, send it out all loud and clear. None of us are free. None of us are free. Isn't very hard to find. None of us can find it on our own. We got to join together, spirit.